I want to get more on that breaking news right now. Bridge collapse, we're told about a 35W. We have Amelia Huffman right now, Minneapolis Police on the phone. What can you tell us about what's happening out there right now? Well, at this point, I don't have a whole lot of information for you because, as you said, this is just in progress now. Uh, we have resources on the way to the scene. We know that the bridge has uh, collapsed, at least in part, and that there are cars in the water. And we're, and we're talking about exactly what location, Amelia. Help us out with that. Now, President Bush promises a robust federal response to the Minnesota bridge collapse. Among the federal agencies responding, the Army Corps of Engineers. Colonel John Christensen is the commander and district engineer for the St. Paul District of the Corps of Engineers. He joins us live from Minneapolis. Colonel, thanks for being with us. Why don't you tell us how you're going to get involved with regard to the debris and the rescue operations, what you can offer right now? Kira, I'd like to say thank you for having me on. And in behalf of the uh, United States Army Corps of Engineers, I'd like to send my condolences out to the, the victims of this tragic accident. And I'd also like to let you know that uh, although we are not the lead agency in, in the cleanup, we, uh, we are standing by uh, with assets to help in the recovery if asked to do so by the, uh, the Minnesota authorities. I will tell you that uh, when the bridge went down last night, it went down just south of our lock and dam on the river. And we had emergency boat crews from, from the lock and dam help with the rescue effort. Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I want to be your host today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. In this episode, we're discussing the collapse of the I-35W bridge in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which was about 15 years ago. With us today are Shannon Bauer and Shelly Schaefer. All right, well, thank you both for being here. I just, before we get into discussing the 35W bridge collapse and the Corps' role in that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what position you held during the, the collapse and, and the Corps' response? Uh, we'll start with you, Shannon. Sure. Um, I've been with the Corps of Engineers now since 2002. At the time of the bridge collapse, I was the Deputy Chief of Public Affairs for St. Paul District. I'm currently the Chief of Public Affairs. Right. I'm Shelly Schaefer. At the time of the collapse, I was the Emergency Management Director for the St. Paul District. I also held a collateral role as an ESF3 team leader which is primarily associated with nationally declared disasters where FEMA is the lead agency. Shelly and Shannon, and, and I had a unique role also. So I was a, a public affairs augmentee. So when there was natural disasters or anything that the Corps responded to, I would assist Shannon's shop uh, in communication. So in addition to, to being one of your hosts today, I was actually part of the response to the 35W Bridge Club. Well, thank you all for joining us today. I think that every time that there is a natural disaster or some significant event, we always tend to remember where we were and what we were doing. So starting with Shelly, can you talk about what you were doing when the bridge collapsed? Yeah, I will I will never forget that time. Uh, my family, my husband and I and, and our two sons and um, some more couples and their children 
uh, we went to Milwaukee for a Brewer game. So I was actually sitting in, in the new Miller Stadium at that time, uh, watching the Brewers play and my Blackberry, and I know we don't even know what those look like anymore, but Blackberry, my Blackberry just started blowing up with texts and, and all kinds of things from all over. So I read them all and then I got on and, and I can't remember who I called. I've, I've slept since then, but I got in direct contact, I believe with the state of Minnesota emergency management. And they said that that had occurred. So I swiftly gathered my family and we jumped in the car and took the four to five hour drive back so I could get back to get to the scene as soon as possible. How about you, Shannon? Well, similar to Shelly, I too will never forget it, uh, mainly because I live not that far from this fridge. I was, I'm a few miles south and my power went out when I collapsed. And I don't know if it, the bridge had anything to do with the power or not, but I was on the treadmill and uh, that was not fun. Flew forward and then back and hurt myself. And then my phone was calling. It was my mom telling me that, uh, the bridge was out and I'm like, what bridge? I didn't quite picture it, but she had power and I didn't. So I got myself cleaned up and went to her house, which is about four blocks south. And I'm watching the news and I see that bridge is on our lock and uh, it fell on the wall. And I'm like, well, I can't say those bad words on the radio, but I knew that I was going to have to go do some work pretty soon. So like Shelly, I ran back to my house to get my emergency ops uh, shirts and all that. And um, I did get a call, maybe it wasn't Shelly, but it was from somebody in the EOC or my boss at the time, Mark Davidson, saying, well, you're the closest person. We need, you know, get in the car and go. The problem is, is you couldn't go anywhere. There was traffic everywhere. And like people were stuck on that bridge for hours. So I took, I snaked in through the back roads to get to the lock and um, I'm stuck in gridlock traffic. And so there was a cop on the side of the street and I waved him down and I told him who I am and then I'm trying to get to the lock, showed him my badge, he jumped in my car and he directed traffic out of my way and he, he got me to the scene. So um, I wasn't there that long after it fell. Um, I wanna say there was still smoke coming up. It was August, there was, the sun was just starting to go down. So probably a few hours after it actually fell. Yeah, and it might be important for our listeners to know, too, like the I-35W bridge is like the bridge in the Minneapolis-St. Paul region. It is the heart of the infrastructure there. It is the bridge that probably the majority of folks in the metro area had driven across almost daily. Um, so when it went down, it was a huge deal for, for traffic. But it was also one of those things where you every single person in the state probably knew somebody that drove across that bridge every day. So everybody's phones were erupting. Um, and I remember I was watching my wife's soccer game at the time and my cousin called me from Duluth and it's like, dude, the bridge fell down. And I was like, what bridges don't just fall down? It was just such a shocking moment to think of, of infrastructure collapsing in the country. And I know at the time we'd, we'd kind of heard reports about like uh, infrastructure and the condition of infrastructure, but it didn't become real uh, for me until, you know, seeing something fall in your community that was right there and it was so important. And then um, just the aftermath and, and the one visual image for me, I know Shannon got there right away as I showed up, I think the next morning, but the school bus, there was a school bus sitting there kind of tilted up on one of the, the segments that collapsed with the back door open. And, and, and that was one thing that really stood out to me. 
So I was kind of curious, you know, you know, Shelly and Jenna, when you got to the bridge, you know, kind of what, what did you see and, and what was your, what was going through your mind at those times? Well, again, we'll start with you, Shannon. Well, like you mentioned, since it is vital roadway for the Twin Cities and I've lived here, you know, I live here and my friends and family use that bridge. I think right like a year, it was probably around a year later. Um, and I saw it on town down time down south and I had some PTSD from that. Uh, and then seeing it again in my home backyard, it was pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, it was definitely certainly emotional. I know for, for me too. And just, I remember like standing there looking at something, just this, this belief and, you know, the fear of, you know, understanding what people must have gone through sitting on the bridge. And I remember like, after I drove on bridge that, I would always think like, what will I do if this bridge collapses? It's, it's even sticks with me today. Uh, so it, it's something that, you know, that emotion does stick around. And Shelly, I kind of want to hear from you too and see what your perspective was. Yeah. My thoughts, because they didn't know how many cars were in there and how many people and so forth. And I'm, I've got the worst case scenario run through my head that, that this was near rush hour, um, knowing that the bridge is, is heavily used as, as Aaron had said. And, and I kept thinking about those poor people that are stuck down there in those vehicles and knowing full well that there's no way that anyone that ended up in that river would have survived. Um, just being there and, and feeling for all the families and relatives and friends of those people that were there in the water that, that their lives will never be the same again. So I was, I was very sympathetic to what these families could be going through and wanting to do whatever we could to, you know, help get those people back and, and so that they could have closure and, and start to heal. So that was, that was kind of, from an emotional standpoint, that's kind of where I was, I was sitting. So one thing I remember too, it was really, it was super hot that day. And then, and all the phones were going nuts with everybody. If you lived in Minneapolis, all your friends and relatives were trying to call you to see if you were alive or you are on the bridge. And, and then all of a sudden all of our cell phones stopped working and nobody could get through. And uh, although we had government cell phones and had priority, the people trying to call us didn't, or the people we were trying to call didn't. So there was like this eerie silence after they rescued all of the people that they could immediately. And then it was dark and there was no phone calls. And we were just sitting there at the lock that night, just like, whoa, what happened? And then all of the different agencies that were involved, you had um, the local people, the uh, county people, the state people, the federal people, nobody really knew who was in charge. I think we did a brilliant job covering it up in the media. It looked like we had it together, but nobody really knew. And I mean, cause you're talking, it's in a city, in a county, in a state, it's a federal water, federal bridge, full on a federal project. So everybody was there. And I think I figured out at some point that night or that the following morning that the NTSB was initially in charge because they thought it might be terrorism. And the chief of the NTSB somehow made it there like within 24 hours and was walking around on site. I don't know, I think it changed hands like nine times, 10 times within two days of who was in charge. Yeah, and, and Shannon, that's, that's a really good point. And when I think of, of this event and, and our response, it was very, it was very unique. 
Um, of course, you had right at the beginning, command and control was taken on by the Hennepin County Sheriff's Department. And, and one thing that I'm not sure that a lot of people are aware of is that they're very fortunate that they didn't lose more people trying to, you know, during the rescue operations immediately after the collapse because the Hennepin County dive team responded and they, they went in there and as some of you may know, there's a lot of velocity and flow going through there. It comes right on the Mississippi River. Simply put, the Sheriff's Department was not equipped for that type of rescue working in that turbulent water with all the steel and, and the structure of that bridge in the water and then trying to get to uh, victims underwater. We're just very fortunate that more lives weren't lost. Um, so it became quite apparent right away that that was beyond their capability. And then me being a ESF3 team leader and very familiar with the national response framework and so forth, you know, thinking, okay, who's this? who is going to be in charge? Who's going to be the lead agency for this response and recovery? And it became quite apparent early on that this was not going to be a normal disaster response where FEMA comes in as the lead agency and they coordinate all the other resources that come in to support this. Um, it wasn't a large scale enough, it was a very isolated event, although catastrophic, it was very isolated in that area. So it didn't qualify for a national declaration. So because it was a federal highway, uh, as Shannon referenced there, they decided that it would be um, the Department of Transportation would be that agency. So that just complicated things because I had never been associated with any event where they enacted the uh, the Economy Act or they implemented the Economy Act. So there was a lot of things that we all needed to learn. You know, the state of Minnesota was the lead state agency and, and so there's a lot of things that we had to figure out in a very short period of time of, of what was the best way to respond and the command and control and, and making sure that we had all the right resources um, there for that type of event. You mentioned earlier that some of the bridge was on a core project. And so I want to dig a little deeper into the core's role in all of this and why we were involved. Obviously, if it was involved in our lock, um, that would be one reason. But I'll, I'll uh, turn it over to Shelly first to talk about, you know, the core's role and why we were there. Yeah, well, because of our location and having you know, great facility there, um, they decided to establish the command and control, that would be the command and control center would be our, the, the lock and dam there. And uh, Tim Mears, who was the lock master there, was paid, played a key role in, in coordinating some of that. But we ended up, being that we were all there and that was the brain center of that whole response, um, we had a lot of involvement with our leadership, you know, our commander, just because it was on our facility and they used us as a command and control center, you know, we provided resources and made sure there's good communication. And a key point here is they decided since this was a very specialized rescue and recovery operation, 
worked through DOD to bring in the Navy soup salve. It is a specialized dive team that is equipped and trained for this type of operation. Now you've brought in a whole nother level of federal and military response. But one of the, I think, most biggest contributing factors for us is that they used our barges and all the equipment we had there readily available at the site for, for them to operate off of, which was very convenient and helpful to the whole operation because being that it was because the bridge was collapsed down below, we were just fortunate that we had equipment and barges and boats upstream of that that could reach that area. But I would say the key thing was providing the space and the facilities for the command and control and providing our dive resources and barges and equipment to help with that rescue. And I think I'd add to our, our H&H, our hydraulics and hydrology water control folks, they played a key role because uh, we did have a dam immediately upstream there. And so they were able to decrease flows uh, so the Navy divers could go in. So while the Navy divers were in there, we would hold back water to reduce those velocities to make it a, a safer dive situation. So there was also that component. So, you know, the Corps had the physical facilities, but we also had the technical resources aiding this. So it was a, a really coordinated uh, event as it occurred. That's a very good So we had a maintenance and repair unit there and they were supposed to go home the next morning and their crane was sitting upstream. So it was positioned in the right place at the right time. Had it been downstream, had they already left, there would be no way to get that crane upriver because obviously there was a bridge in the way. So the fact that they were there and they had the right equipment there was all ironic. So I, I know that, you know, obviously there was tons of national attention to the, this event and rightfully so. And the Corps was kind of the, the center of, of a lot of this coordination and discussions. Um, and shortly after the event, President Bush came to visit. So in addition to having the Navy divers there, then the Secret Service was there. You know, so I think Shannon and myself, we, we led the coordination for the visit with the president. So, Shannon, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the visit from the president and, and the events around that? We had the White House was coming and um, it wasn't a very big facility, so they couldn't bring a big staff. So. It was Aaron and I doing the coordination for that. We had the press secretary people calling. We had the Secret Service people calling. Everybody was calling. In fact, my cell phone started getting hot and smoke started coming out of it and it died and they had to bring me a new phone by like day two or three, which was kind of funny. When the president did show up on day three, what he did was nothing at all what Secret Service or the press secretary told us would happen. The logistics around that, you know, on top of, you know, your the, the local government, everybody's coordinating this response. They've been uh, at this point, I think even pulling some cars out, you know, and then you're trying to coordinate the president's visit on top of it, which is normally just a major event in itself. And I think that it was interesting working with the Secret Service because, you know, like they said that we would get the plans and we'd coordinate stuff. Uh, but, you know, when the president shows up, it, it kind of just they do what the president wants to do uh, at that time. And, and it was a, I remember a, an interesting story for me, and this is probably the closest I've ever been to, to getting arrested actually was the Secret <laughs> Service put us in the press pool and we were with some very aggressive camera people. And I was like, I'm done with this. 
Uh, so I went back to the building. So I didn't go where I was supposed to be. So that was, that was my bad the first time. But then I realized that a lot of core staff got put around the corner. So if the president was there and you had all these people from outside coming in, you know, obviously for their PR shots, but they kind of like forgot about the local staff. That was the one doing the response. And I told the Secret Service person what I thought about this, which I used some choice words and my supervisor, Tom Crump, was sitting there. And his look on his face was like, oh my goodness, you're going to get arrested by the Secret Service. But I basically told the Secret Service, like, this is BS that, you know, you shove our staff in the corner and the president's not going to get to see it you know, go meet them. And that's the most important people here. And the secret service guy said, you sit right here and don't move. And he took my camera away. And I was like, oh. but he didn't just take your camera away though. He took mine and all the other core people just because of your big mouth. So, and we all got shoved <laughs> in with the rest of the employees. Cause and our intent was to get pictures of the employees shaking hands of the president and they weren't letting us do that. So I know Aaron was mad and he went and walked away behind the building and stopped. And then the president came back and he said he didn't, he recognized that he hadn't shaken my hand yet. So he called me out and I got my picture taken with him. And I'm like, then he went in the building and they had a meeting with the governor and our general and a bunch of people. But Aaron, you did get your picture. At the end of the meeting, the president came out of the building and he just stood there and he started talking to us. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, the, the Secret Service agent, he came back to me and he's like, did you meet the president? And I said, no, you told me not to move. So I wasn't going to move. And he's, like, <laughs> he's, he's like, walk out front. And so then I walked out the front of the building and then they had the president there. Um, so I got to, to shake his hand and, and get some pictures. So it, it was pretty cool how it worked out. And I was really happy that uh, the president did end up, you know, meeting with all of our staff. But it was, yeah, one of those interesting things. I'm glad in the end it worked out, but yeah, there was definitely some, a little bit of controversy there. And in the end of the day, I got a, a picture mailed to me from the White House for, with the president. So that was pretty cool. But it was an interesting experience working with the, the Secret Service. And then like, I think, you know, it's been mentioned to all the different agencies. And I remember working with the Sheriff's Department, uh, the Red Cross was there. I mean, it, it was a lot of people in a really small area uh, doing lots of logistics. So um, in the end, it looking back at the response, it seems like it was pretty smooth. But I remember at the time, like there was so much going on. Um, it was always chaotic. It was like Shannon said, phones were burning up. There's communications were difficult. But even I remember like getting food was hard. Like we had to get food from the Red Cross. Um, so like you and we weren't even literally allowed to leave. Like I, I think we probably could have left, but getting in and out of the site wasn't easy, even for us, especially once uh, it was knowing that the president would be coming. The federal government has provided significant dollars to locals and other federal agencies and also the core to invest in critical infrastructure across the nation. And so I do want to take this time and Aaron, maybe you can start this conversation as to, you know, this is just a great start to getting after some of this infrastructure. What more is needed? You know, what what are some potential solutions that are out there? And I think for me, like looking at the 35W bridge collapse, it wasn't real to me that the nation needed such an investment in infrastructure until that time. You just hear about it or you see a news story about something, but man, seeing it is so different and, and emotional and it just makes it real. Like you can see a news report about some bridge collapse in some city and like, oh yeah, that's terrible. But man, when you live it, it is so different. And it's just really made me personally passionate about getting critical infrastructure in the ground. And I think just the investment that the nation's made 
this past year with the, the infrastructure bill and the funding there, and then those large appropriations that the Corps has been seeing and the other agencies in infrastructure is, is really important. And so making this big investment in infrastructure is key, but we also always have to remember that we can't forget about the operations and maintenance. And I think that's an important role for the Corps of Engineers is that you get infrastructure put in the ground and everybody's there to take pictures and everybody's there to say, hey, this is great. But 20 years down the road, when you need to do some maintenance on that facility, it's a lot harder to get that support to do it. People just, there's no glory in maintaining something. There's glory in building something new. Uh, but if you want to avoid having disasters and impacting the economy, uh, you know, losing availability of locks and dams or th those types of things, uh, we need to really focus on that, that maintenance period as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about the investments we have ongoing. I'm excited about the way we can deliver, but I think we just also need to, to continue to focus on the maintenance aspect. And I think that's something important for, you know, the core and our staff is, you know, maintenance is really important. And I think it's it's kind of thankless. And so we need to make sure that we thank all those folks on their locks and dams and our infrastructure that we manage every day. Uh, you know, we, we have over $250 billion worth of infrastructure um, within the Corps of Engineers, and that's a tremendous amount. And we're the ones that the staff out there is the ones that keeps that running. So I think it, it, it's good. It's a great first step, um, but we also need to keep focusing on, on the maintenance aspect. Do any other thoughts on that? I guess so the only I think, thing I would add to tell you is that, you know, like Aaron mentioned about driving over bridges after that happened. I mean, I think a lot of us were haunted by that. It's like, my gosh, this is a major bridge in the state of Minnesota. And if this one collapsed, what are the chances that the bridge I'm driving on right now could collapse? So um, I think totally agree that we need to focus more on the operations and maintenance of, of all this infrastructure, but um, it all takes money. Yeah, and I know we're probably getting close to the, the end of our time here today, but I wanted to just see, you know, if Shannon and Shelley, if, if you have any final closing thoughts on the events surrounding the bridge collapse or, or infrastructure looking forward. I was actually kind of wondering from Shelley what the coordination was like with our headquarters because this is such a unique emergency management experience that the Corps usually never gets involved with. Right. You know, one of the things here is although it happened on our facility, we as a Corps of Engineers, as a responding agency, really didn't have a whole lot of authority to bring in our own other resources other than what was already on site from the lock and dam. And as always, like most federal agencies, they want to do as much as they possibly can. So, you know, there's a lot of coordination. What more can we be doing? What should we be doing? And, and making sure that, you know, we were staying in our wheelhouse, I'll call it, throughout this whole event. But there was it was so unique. There was a lot of coordination with headquarters just because the Economy Act and how that all works and what documentation you need to keep and how do you coordinate that response was unique. So I did reach back to some of our experts back in headquarters that had a lot more experience with that to help guide us, you know, at the district level um, to make sure that in the end we were well positioned you know, because there's reimbursement, there's other reporting and so forth that we had to do because of, of DOT being there. So 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't recall any real big issues with coordination that we worked really well with the state, worked really well with DOT. I think even though this is a very new situation event for virtually every agency there, I think overall we played well together. I think we, everyone brought the resources that they, they were supposed to and were best suited for. And uh, from that standpoint, I thought uh, it went quite well. You know, one thing we we probably, you know, don't have time to focus on tremendously here, but really the, the rebuild of the bridge and the new bridge and how quickly, you know, the state was able to pull together and get a design out there and construct that new bridge. And I don't remember the exact time frame, but I feel like that new bridge was open in like a year after the uh, collapse. So. They went from really no concept of what to do to that new bridge being ready to go. And, and, you know, as part of the, that process, you know, it was near the course facility and because of the course role, we had lots of uh, folks within the organization, very interested in this new bridge and it coming up. And I remember I led a tour before the bridge was connected. So they built the bridge from each side and they used tension to keep it apart. And then they released the tension to, to connect it in the middle. But for a little while there, there was a little gap, like a foot or something, and you could step over it. Um, so it was really interesting to be able to, to step over the Mississippi River um, in the heart of downtown across that bridge. And, and I remember leading a tour there. But it does show that the nation can build infrastructure really quickly, you know, when everybody comes together and is focused on it. So that, that's one impressive lesson from that. But the response afterwards, doing something new different type of emergency, different agencies. I think that's also very impressive that everybody, you know, we just did what needed to be done to get the job done. And it didn't really matter, you know, whose turf it was or who was in charge. It was about helping each other out. Um, so all in all, you know, I think it, you know, looking back, it's it's still, it, you know, that haunting moments, there's times where you're parked on a bridge and you just think like, man, what will happen if this bridge falls down? Um, and I think leading up to this anniversary, I've thought of that, but. We also want to make sure we don't ever forget, you know, the victims that uh, were lost that day. There were a number of them and really the trauma is caused for the community here. It's, it's been a challenging time. Um, there's the new bridge there, but I know that this is, is still on the minds of many. And with that, you know, I think I just want to thank you, you know, Shannon and Shelley, uh, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.